2: That song, when Christ shall come, with shouts of acclamation. And at that point, we will declare how great thou art. Then sings my soul. The reality of it is, God wants you to know how great he is now. Because the most unbelieving part of a man is his soul, his mind, will, and emotions. That's the part that seems more often than not to take its cue from the world, to take its cue from externals. And God says, I want you to live by faith. I want you to sing your soul, to sing how great I am, because I am great to you. I am holding you together. I am going before you. I am your salvation, your protection, your keeping. In all things, I am your provision. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then sings my soul. Today, we're going to return to our exposition of Hebrews, and we'll be looking at chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. And in these verses, the author of Hebrews is addressing apostasy. Now, don't hang up too quick, because at the end of this section of verses comes a word of great encouragement for the Christian believer. The Spirit of God here is making sure that those who in that Hebrew fellowship, who are drifting away from the truth. Understand that there is no turning back once you drift away from the truth in apostasy. Because apostasy is not flippant. It's not an unthinking error. It's not just a drifting into sin. It's a determined choice, a determined choice to reject Jesus. It is an outright rejection of the Son of God. It is a rejection of his sacrifice, his salvation. It is where an individual has been privileged to receive the revelation of the Spirit regarding Jesus and his salvation and has chosen to reject the Savior and to cast aside his sacrifice as worthless. Once that decision has been made... There is no forgiveness. Now the author is addressing those who have been a part of a Hebrew Christian fellowship just outside of Jerusalem and who have heard the word of God concerning his son. They sat under teaching of the word of God. They may have, in fact, made a profession of faith, but they had never truly embraced truth by faith they were never born again. They may have been intellectually convinced, but not spiritually transformed. For varying reasons, they had attached themselves to this little fellowship, to this Christian community among the Hebrews, probably because of family ties, because they were intrigued by the message, probably because they were intellectually convinced, and they had relationships there that were important to them. They had to, up to this point, enjoyed that association. It had become their normal. But things changed, don't they? We've experienced that. It was their society then, it was their community in which they had always felt loved and accepted, however, They were not believers. So we see this today in the U.S., I think, because most of us grew up in a quasi-Christian community where belonging to a church has been like belonging to a community center where relationships are cultivated and encouraged. We've heard the word preached in various ways with various emphasis, But the question is, do we just know about Jesus? Or do we truly know him through an intimate union with his spirit? Do we crave communion with him and the fellowship, long for the fellowship of believers? Do you see obedience as a privilege? Are we determined to live life by faith? You see, all of those are characteristics of the new creation child of God. Do we find ourselves more at home with the world and with our distractions, with self-indulgence, than with the communion of the Spirit, the communion of His life? If that is true of you, you may be going through a season of carnality, But you may want to examine your relationship before Christ. Is your knowledge of Christ a familiarity with the truth that you're comfortable with? Or is it an intimate relationship? One thing I've learned about intimate relationship is that they must be pursued to be intimate. They must be determined in your pursuit in order for a relationship to become intimate. There must be a constant expression that renews and affirms that relationship. Or the intimacy becomes lost in the day-to-day, in the busyness and distractions of your own life. Apostasy is really the fullness of sin in every respect, because it is an informed choice to reject the Son of God and the gift of salvation. Before we examine this horrific sin through Scripture, I thought it might be good to look at and be reminded of whom we are rejecting when we choose to apostasize, or when the unbeliever apostatized. I will direct you to chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, where the Spirit of God gives us a picture of who Jesus is. It says, God, having spoken to the fathers long ago in the voices and writings of the prophets, in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth and in many ways, has in these days, these last days, spoken with finality to us in the person of the one who is, by his character and nature, his Son. Namely, Jesus whom he appointed as heir and lawful owner of all things, through whom also he created the universe, that is, the universe as a space-time-matter continuum. The sun is the radiance and the only expression of the glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being, the brilliant light of the divine, the exact representation and perfect imprint of his Father's essence, and upholding and maintaining and propelling all things, the entire physical and spiritual universe by his powerful word, carrying the universe along to its predetermined gold. When he himself and no other had by offering himself on the cross as a sacrifice of sin, accomplished a purification from sins, and established our freedom from guilt, he sat down revealing his completed work at the right hand of the majesty on high, revealing his divine authority, having become much superior to the angels since he has inherited a more excellent and glorious name than they, that is, Son, the name above all names. That is who the apostate walks away from. That is who the apostate rejects. That is who the apostate counts as worthless. It's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? The superiority of Christ is given to us over and over again in the book of Hebrews. This is who the apostate determines to reject. It is not religion that he is rejecting. It's the person of God's Son. That is our salvation from God's righteous judgment. These verses are given by God as a warning to those who would know about Jesus and are now choosing to reject. There are several examples in Scripture of apostasy. In both the Old and New Testament, and I can think of two, one in the Old and one in the New. Uh, One would be Saul, the apostate king of Israel, and the other one would be Judas, the apostate disciple. Did Judas know about Jesus? I think he did. The superiority of Jesus has been presented, and the author demands a commitment. In verse 22, he says, "...let us draw near." In verse 23, he writes, "...let us hold fast." And in verse 24, he says, "...let us consider one another." Then we finished, the last time we looked at Hebrews, we finished with verse 25 of chapter 10. "...not forsaking our meeting together as believers or for worship and instruction, as as is the habit of some." but encouraging one another all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Now, people may forsake the assembly without being apostate, but it is an indication that their faith may be drifting, that they may view the assembly as simply a matter of convenience. If there is no heart to gather and worship our God with fellow believers, then you may be dealing with carnality, and have become accustomed to ignoring the call of God. Even if you are physically unable to attend, there should be an appetite for the corporate worship and fellowship of believers. That's the spirit, that is what the Spirit of God has called you to. You see, these appetites are appetites of the new man. They're placed in you by God. The lost, the, the God-haters, they have no desire to assemble with believers. This is placed in you by God. It is a product of your new creation self. The desire to pray. That's not the enemy's temptation. The desire to worship. That's not the enemy's temptation. The desire to bless. The desire to love. All of these things could be named either as fruit of the Spirit or character of Christ. These things are not the product of flesh. They are the product of who you are in Christ. They reveal you. When you go against your nature and withhold yourself from these things, when you set these things aside, you literally punish yourself. We know what it's like to try to be something that you're not. Well, that's what you do when you reject the life force of Christ's life in you. He has created you for these things. We have had to be apart, but if you have not missed the assembly, then you might ask the Spirit of God to cause your soul to draw near. That's the mind, will, and emotion. To conform your obedience, conform the obedience of your mind, will, and emotions. Some of the Hebrews had begun to forsake the assembly because of the persecution, and they had returned to the practice of Judaism. Now, the issue for them is that they really had no compelling reason to attend. There was always something better to do. And it was no longer worth the effort because of the persecution that they were enduring. It wasn't worth the struggle. You see, they had equated the worship at the temple to the worship of the Christians because they were not true believers. So it was easy to leave. It's easy to leave something you haven't invested yourself in. When you hold it lightly and you do not own it for yourself, it's easy to walk away from it, isn't it? You can see that in marriages where the couples have drifted apart and they no longer invest themselves in one another. And then, surprise, surprise, one day one of them asks for a divorce and it's really not a surprise to either one of them. Why? They're not invested in the marriage. They're not invested in loving one another. That is what you see here. They drifted away. Now we're going to look at our text, Hebrews 10, 26 through 39. For if we go on willingly and deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice to atone for our sins. That is, no further offering to anticipate, but a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment and the fury of a fire and burning wrath which will consume the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. Anyone who has ignored and set aside the law of Moses is put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much greater punishment do you think he will deserve who rejected and trampled underfoot the Son of God and has considered unclean and common the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and has insulted the Spirit of grace who imparts the unmerited favor and blessing of God? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. Retribution and deliverance of justice rest with me. I will repay the wrongdoer. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God incurring his judgment and wrath. But remember, the earlier days when After being spiritually enlightened, you patiently endured a conflict of suffering, sometimes by being made a spectacle, publicly exposed to insults and distresses, and sometimes by becoming companions with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy and deep concern for those who were imprisoned, and you joyfully accepted the unjust seizure of your belongings and the confiscation of your property, conscious of the fact that you have a better position and lasting one prepared for you in heaven. Do not, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence, for it has a glorious and great reward. For you have need of patient endurance to bear up under such circumstances without compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, But my righteous one, the justified by faith, shall live by faith, respecting man's relationship to God and trusting him. And if he draws back, shrinking in fear, my soul has no delight in him. But our way is not that of those who shrink back to destruction. But we are those who believe, relying on God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And by this confident faith, preserve the soul. As I've said, this is a severe warning to those who have not yet been born again. But they were simply just a part of the community of believers. These Hebrews would not leave the assembly in ignorance. The Spirit of God is making their choice plain. Let's look at verses 26 and 27. For if we go on willfully and deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice to atone for our sins that is no further offering to anticipate, but a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment and the fury of and of a fire and burning wrath which will consume the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. Now the Greek puts this verse forward in the present tense. So what's going on here is not a single act, a single indiscretion. It's not the occasional sin. But it is a way of life. It is a practice So they willfully sin, are sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth. And the Greek here indicates that they received specific but full knowledge. A full knowledge. They didn't just know in part. They knew in full in terms of intellectually what Christ had done. Also, keep in mind that these were Hebrews, and they had an in-depth knowledge of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, which the author consistently refers to. They have received through the exposition of the Scriptures the knowledge of Jesus, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the covenant and the perfect sacrifice. Because of what Jesus had done, there no longer remains a sacrifice for atonement. Now that was very impactful to the Jew, because heretofore they had a sacrifice for every indiscretion or every sin or everything that involved Jewish living. There were multiple sacrifices and ceremonies. But Jesus came. They were all a prefigure. They were all a type. And Jesus came as the fulfillment of the type. And when he came, he put an end to the sacrificial system. So what he's saying to the Jew is, if you walk away from the sacrifice of Christ, you've walked away from the final atonement. There is no hope. After that, you can find no forgiveness There's no alternative to that. There is no remaining sacrifice to atone for your sins. In their participating in Old Covenant sacrifices, they were equating the sacrifice and blood of Christ to the sacrifice and blood of animals. You see, they knew the truth of Christ, but they were not believers, and they were choosing to reject the truth. Then in verse 27, the author makes it clear that they could not expect another option for deliverance. For an awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment, of a fire and burning wrath, which will consume the adversaries of God. Notice he marks them as his enemies. If you reject Christ, you become an enemy of God and expect to be treated as such. He is describing eternal judgment. That's what's being described here. Even the Christian knows the price of sin in this life. When we separate ourselves from truth and live in a self-imposed separation from the truth, we live in darkness, and darkness and death attend every aspect of our living. You take Jesus out of any aspect of your living as a Christian and And you will see the putrefaction of whatever it is you've embraced. It will begin to decay. It will lose its savor. It will become less than what you imagined it to be. How many Christian marriages have ended that way? We We were made to live in light. Now light is who we are. And because we are part of the light... And that light illumines everything that we walk into so that we can see with clarity and know the fullness of everything that God has put before us for our sake. That light is the revelation of Christ and it is available to any Christian who will yield himself and look for that revelation in every situation In every circumstance. Even now, I hear people complain about having to stay home, about losing their jobs, about not being able to see their loved ones. All of these things which are necessary at this time. But they complain that Christian people are complaining. Here's the thing. Our reward in this life is not our job. Our reward in this life is not even our loved ones. Our reward in this life is the revelation of Christ. It is the fullness of his being. It is the radiance of that life within us. It is the communion of his spirit. It is the constant outworking of his power through our frail human being. That is the reward. That's what God counted as the greatest reward of heaven. The God of the universe looked about him and the greatest thing he could give was his son. You possess that if you're a child of God. You want to turn your captivation into rejoicing? You want to turn your curses into blessing? Then recognize, exalt, Come worship and bow down and know the truth of all that you've inherited in Christ Jesus where you are. That's what we're called to.
1: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org.